everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy bye week. Bye week. Happy we beat Holy Cross week. Happy above 500 week. Happy we don't have a game for another week or so week. Um, yeah, this is this has been a weird first five weeks of the season. But Dan, I'm happy we get to bye week one. I think this team could use a little time to maybe get their heads on straight and more importantly, get healthy since there are, uh, you know, a couple of uh, Dino Babers dubbed uh, owies, so to speak, um, in the starting lineup right now. Yeah, I think the bye week comes at a very uh, fortuitous time for us. We have not a ton of injuries for a college football season, but like a couple pretty key ones. Obviously, we'd like to see McKinley Williams at some point this year, get Sam Heffel back, try to get the offensive line on track. Um, last week, we missed Andre Sisto. We missed uh, 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 Ifo Melifonwu, um, yeah. um, whose name I forget every single week, despite the fact that it's one of our best corners. Um, brutal on my part, just awful. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a good time for us. Uh, obviously, you know, coming up a 41 to three win, like generally speaking, just looking at the numbers, like it kind of went how you hope a demon. It's an FCS opponent goes like overall, but there were still some pretty glaring spots that, uh, we can improve upon. Um, so yeah, I, I think, uh, a good time for a buy for sure. Yeah. I mean, overall, like again, weird start, not the worst start. Um, but definitely an odd one. We obviously won the games that we were very much supposed to win. We lost one that we were definitely supposed to lose. And then there's the Maryland game, uh, which I think is increasingly just becoming a very weird um, result in a college football season uh, full of weird results once you get yourself outside of like the top five to seven teams in the country. Yeah, um, that game isn't aging super well. Uh, Maryland lost to Temple right after they beat us. They got absolutely stomped by Penn State uh, this past weekend at home, even though home at Maryland doesn't mean much, um, even with how our game went. Uh, so, yeah, definitely not the most uh, – not the best loss we've had uh, in terms of, like, you know, projecting it down the road. It's not like, you know, for a bit there, after they hung, like, however many points they hung on Howard, which obviously we said before that game, and even after that game, like, doesn't mean much. Um, and then against us, like, you could maybe talk yourself into Maryland maybe being a surprising – uh, fast starter under Mike Loxley with with you know a bunch of talent on the team that was recruited there, and obviously they had a coaching change um, that was at least in certain parts uh, due to things that were beyond just what was on the field. But um, I don't think that's the case. I think Maryland's just not very good. Yeah, I mean they obviously have some talent on the roster, but I think one of the bigger parts of you know that early kind of jumping on us in particular was that there wasn't a lot of tape. Um, on Maryland, and that's not to excuse Dino Babers and staff. I actually think that it's one of the worst performances they've had um, since they've gotten in the door. I think it's still probably not as bad as the Middle Tennessee game a couple of years ago, but um, it, it, it's definitely up there in terms of you know poor performances by the coaching staff. And, and I, you know, I don't think that's an indictment on their entire job as much as it just you know plenty of stats had bad games. Like Nick Saban had a bad game last January, um, as, as everyone can remember. Like. Sometimes a coach or a coaching staff just has bad games. That happened to be a very bad one for SU. I think Maryland, now that there's game tape, um, ends up that Mike Loxley is, is, is just as much of a, uh, of a not that great coach um, as he was the last time he was doing this. So we hopefully just get to kind of look back at that as an odd result and, and an odd thing that happened to Syracuse en route to another bowl game. But um, I'm not going to count those chickens just yet since there's quite a bit of season left to play. Yeah, I mean – 
Nick Saban lost to UL Monroe once, and obviously that was like his first year at Alabama. But it, you know, I'm sure he would tell you that he got out coached. And our coaches, I think, for the most part, through uh, three plus years here, have not gotten out coached that many times. Like we've usually lost because of talent. Um, and maybe Maryland is more talented than us, uh, but I do think um, the first two games, especially, were not like the best coaching performances. I I think the Clemson game obviously is predicated on talent, and then. You know, Western Michigan and, and Holy Cross, obviously, we, we kind of held serve and did what we were supposed to do. So um, that isn't to say that it's all on the coaches. I think we've learned uh, a decent amount through five games about, like, individual issues. We just don't know exactly how we're going to turn out. We can't, like, I can't confidently say this is going to be a five-win team or a seven-win team or an eight-win team or whatever. Um, I can say we need a lot of improvement on the offensive line. Uh, I can say that Tommy DeVito has moments but is still far from a finished product. Um, and uh, I think uh, Steve over at the site uh, has looked into like, you know, he checks out offensive line stuff uh, more than than most people, and uh, seems to indicate that there's definitely like offensive line issues, but also Devito's pocket presence and pocket awareness has a lot to be desired there as well. Um, the running game has had moments, but we're not getting a huge push up front. Even in Holy Cross, we only averaged four yards a carry. So, um, and then the defense is is probably the biggest enigma. Like we've had. Dominant performances, like obviously you're supposed to hold Holy Cross to a couple hundred yards, and we did that. But um, you know, Liberty, we pretty much shut them down. But then Maryland, we got torched. So it's it's uh, it's tough to totally know what's going on on that side of the ball. But I'm a little less worried after the last few games overall. Yeah, I I would say defensively, like when we said this probably after the Maryland game, you know, there's there, there's what happened against Liberty, there's what happened against Maryland, and then the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I think the truth probably truth looks is- something. <laughs> Western Michigan. Uh, I don't know if it's that either, to be, though. To be honest, because we haven't had our full complement of starters. Like I think, really, like the truth is probably like the first two and a half quarters against Clemson. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that would be. I would probably sign for that. Um, I thought yeah. that we had a a pretty nice performance in the Clemson. Um, I think the McKinley Williams injury has probably been more impactful, and it's hard to know because we haven't seen him yet this year, but. He's really the anchor in the middle, and that's like one. The rushing defense has been one thing that has been um, kind of an issue, uh, not against like Holy Cross, but overall, like I think we would see uh, our two star defensive ends have a lot more uh, of an easy time getting to the quarterback, which you know it's been fine, but it hasn't been like what we saw against Liberty or what we thought we were going to see down the road because I think um, we have kind of have a an issue up the middle in terms of guys playing out of position or. or you know, not quite ready to take on that role. And he's our kind of our biggest anchor of the middle. So I do think there will be a pretty decent difference in the defense once he gets back in there. And hopefully that's soon. Yeah. I mean, people seem to forget, and like this was even included in scouting reports. Babers mentioned it. Um, Alton Robinson and Kenton Coleman both mentioned it last year that having Chris Slayton there as like a pretty capable um, pass rusher up the middle, uh, somebody who was a great run stopper, like he drew attention inside. It definitely freed up, you know, Robinson and Coleman uh, to be able to get after the quarterback. Both players are still getting after the quarterback. I think Robinson in particular has had like a quietly, like really impactful season. Um, he, while he's not putting up like monstrous sack numbers, he's still putting up sacks. He's still getting tackles for loss and he's forcing fumbles. I think he's already forced two or three this year. Um, and despite the fact that he's again, not racking up those numbers, I think uh, offensive linemen and quarterbacks in particular are still very much aware of, of what he's able to do and are very concerned about his ability around the edge where um, he just has this level of speed that that nobody else on the field um, for Syracuse has really been able to match. And I think, you know, teams are going to double him, at least for now, 
while they still can, that should open up opportunities for Coleman. Once McKinley Williams comes back, I think you're going to see a lot more, uh, you know, collapsing in the middle for opposing offensive lines. And considering how bad uh, a lot of the offensive lines are in the ACC this year, uh, that could spell something interesting in the second half of the season. Uh, but again, does really uh, predicate on, you know, Williams being out, being back uh, for SU and being able to be the impact player in the middle that we're used to. Yeah, uh, we saw David Hale send out a stat earlier. Um where SU, like if you had told me before uh, before seeing it, where SU uh, ranked in the ACC in uh, offensive line pressure percentage, I would say probably bottom three pretty easily. And we were sits from the bottom. Um, and that was to say that the ACC has a lot of teams with very uh, issue-based uh, offensive lines right now. Um, but the fact that there were five that are allowing more pressures, including I think Florida State, and I think Pitt was near the bottom. A couple of our... Uh, future opponents. I don't have it right. Yeah, Florida Louisville was in there too. NC State didn't look that great either. Yeah, my mention's not buried today because uh, I waded into political waters. But um, <laughs> yeah, not even like getting attacked, just like a lot of likes and and stuff. Um, yeah, so we were sits. Uh, so we were what eighth in the ACC, uh, so, and it wasn't good. We were like ninety sixth overall or something crazy. Yeah, it was ninety sixth um, overall. Louisville was ninety seventh. Pitt was one hundred two. FSU was one hundred seven. And then UVA and Miami, who were not on this year's schedule, were were the the bottom two. And that's to say, like we should have some success getting after the passer, um, because even though it doesn't seem like we've had like the quite the crazy like numbers that we would get after that Liberty game, we do have nine people with at least half a sack. We have, uh, I want to say, six with at least two sacks, uh, including Robinson and Coleman who we know should put up bigger numbers. Lakeem Williams actually leads us with three and a half, and then Brandon Barry had two and a half just in this Holy Cross game alone. Um, but we are getting guys after the quarterback. It's probably not quite at the same level as we expected, but like Clemson's offensive line is going to be very good, um, even if it takes a step back from last year. Um, we, we saw, you know, Western Michigan, um, I don't know how we did uh, numbers-wise against them, but they were getting the ball out quick, and, and playing fast. So I, I don't think we were quite as aggressive there. Uh, and then the Maryland game was just kind of an issue overall. Uh, there's nothing that went really well in that game. Um, but I do expect that to pick up. Uh, and, and I don't think it's probably been that bad. I think we just probably expected a little bit more than what we've gotten so far. Yeah. To be honest, we're, uh, we're 10th in the country in sacks. Yeah. So that's pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I think they're uh, probably loaded a little bit on the, like the easier games, but that's fine. That's every college football team at this point. Yeah, we definitely were. Eight against Liberty, one against Maryland, zero against Clemson, three against Western Michigan, and five against Holy Cross. Yeah, and and I would say the offensive lines that we're about to face, based on those numbers at least, are probably closer to Western Michigan than they are against, than they are to Clemson. Which is great. Yeah, this... Uh, I mean, I will say uh, some of the teams on the schedule are also... The teams on our schedule, while, yes, their offensive lines aren't great, uh, their defensive lines have just as many, if not more, sacks than we do. Uh, so that's also just something to watch out for, considering how uh, how poorly we're doing uh, on the offensive line front so far. Yeah, so this is all to say that the ACC games might look like a, a hot mess across the board this year. I mean, it looks like it early, at least, and even in like some of the earlier uh, ACC games, you know, Louisville, Florida State, NC State, Florida State. Um, I know UNC had you know, took Clemson to the wire. Uh, Miami and UNC got weird and ugly and Virginia tech and Duke got super ugly. Yeah. Like, like just, just basically any game that involves two ACC teams. Um, 
has looked pretty stupid so far, including ours against Clemson, even like the final score doesn't necessarily indicate that. And I wouldn't claim that we were all that close to beating them. But as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, like, you know, a couple of mistakes go the other way. It's a totally different game. I think the ACC is just a different level of stupid this year. And that should play to our advantage uh, as it did last year. Yeah. I mean, even when we've looked pretty uh, mediocre, uh, even relative to expectations, like, there was a, and I don't, I'm not saying this will happen. We could finish five and seven. Um, we might stumble to seven and five, even if we're not that good, because this ACC schedule is very weak. Uh, it's the weakest the Atlanta's been in a long time. Um, you know, Clemson, I, I, Clemson doesn't look great. And then they were, you know, there was some of this last year with them too. And then they ended up beating Alabama by a thousand points. So who knows how much it'll mean by December or by January. But like Wake's been pretty definitively the second best team in the Atlanta. Florida State is improved but not over like all of the messiness from last year and the rest of us like there's no one that's way under the rest but there's no one that like you'd say is good um so like who it's gonna be i think it's it's kind of calling tosses from here on out and you could roll in pit and uh i think duke's probably a little more consistent than some of the other teams were playing um and we we identified that earlier in the year uh we kind of know what you're getting out of top cliff and in a year in a year where like everyone kind of sucks like that's when a Duke or a this year's Wake Forest team that are like pretty consistent in what they do kind of rise to the top. And you're already starting to see that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, Wake Forest in particular is a testament to the, uh, the noon magician school of scheduling where you get yourself into a conversation that you may or may not belong in uh, getting to four and O, but then you carry that momentum and your players get to work out the kinks and get to become, um, you know, a much better version of, themselves we saw it last year really like we didn't know florida state was gonna be bad in game three but realistically like su got to kind of build some momentum um early on and then that way they were healthier as the season wore on this year um harder schedule to start the season at least uh you started seeing some injuries uh younger players weren't necessarily able to wade into the waters um that they needed to and and this is how you get here like three and two is still not a, a terrible start we've definitely started worse um, in the last 20 years, but you know, th- this is just what happens when, um, when you're over-tested early, when you're not necessarily forced to, and I understand the, the, the ramifications of the dome, uh, renovations and all that, but you know, SU is obviously just dealing with something different than we saw last year. And, you know, Wake gets to enjoy the spoils of, of scheduling, you know, smarter this year and, and, and being now in a situation where like Jamie Newman's look really good and he's probably going to look even better as the year wears on because he was able to ease into this um, season coming back from some injury. Uh, they had pieces to replace on both sides of the ball and they've been able to equip themselves pretty well. I still think there's some questions there, uh, but those questions get to be brushed under the rug right now because they're 5-0 and and they could very well get to 6-0 and very soon and, and no one's going to give a shit <laughs> about what those questions are. So, yeah, I, I think... You know, we saw last year a manageable schedule turns a seven and five team into a ten and three team. That could happen to Wake this year. For all we know, what happens to us this year too. I'm not banking on it, but you know, SU could very well be be two wins ahead of you know where where this talent level dictates, just because of a of a manageable schedule and where the games land. And even like looking at the actual results for Wake, and I think Wake does look good. And I think uh, I was high on Wake entering the year. If you go back to our preview podcast. Uh, about the Atlantic, um, if you just subbed in like uh, our, if you subbed out our Western Michigan game and you inserted a thirty-eight to thirty-five win over Utah State, and I think Utah State's a pretty good group of five, probably probably better than Western Michigan, but not like 
you know, crazily better. Um, I don't think people would be that much happier than what they are now. Um, I think a 41 to 21 win over Rice is fine, but Rice is like uh, around the bottom of the FBS. Uh, UNC, I think you, any win over UNC at this point, like looks good enough. Um, but who knows what they're going to be rest of the year. Who cares about the Elon game? It's basically the same as our Holy Cross game. And then like 27 to 24 at BC is a nice result. Like you'll take any road wins in the ACC, but like, you, if you gave us this five game start, there's a very good chance we would have the same five and zero record with similar store, uh, points scored. <laughs> Most of the ACC would, right? Um, UNC is like the one game that I would have questions about NBC, but like, like those read out like coin flip games and Wake has won the coin flips, and that was us last year. Um, and like you said, it's hard to tell where we'll be uh, down the road this year. We've had seasons that have gone well where we have one stupid game like the Maryland game that seems to like not really make sense with the rest of the schedule um so yeah still very early still uh you know i think we have an idea about individual units but as a team um there's a lot to learn and uh i think nc state is a is an interesting next opponent they are i want to say in kind of a rebuilding year um from what was a pretty consistent run with ryan finley there at quarterback um i think that should be a very winnable game yeah, I, I think that the loss to Florida State for them by double digits really kind of solidified that for me. I thought it was a winnable game beforehand. I still think it's winnable now. Obviously, Thursday night at, uh, at Carter-Finley is not necessarily um, the type of situation you want to be in, but I don't think SU is going to be favored at all, never mind heavily favored. Um, so who knows? We take it by surprise. I think in general it's just going to be a, a well-coached um, and maybe a little bit messier game um, than either team is really used to. I'll be there, uh, so I'll be kind of on and offline uh, during the game, but should be a fun one. I'm looking forward to it. I've been to Carter Finley before, uh, but not for a Thursday night or, or, or a night game at all. Um, I was at the uh, actually the game that got Scott Schaefer fired several years back, so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing Dino and the crew in action. I will talk more about that game next week, though, and, uh, and getting into the nuts and bolts. Uh, before we get to halftime, though, did want to talk a little bit about Tommy DeVito. Uh, Dan, everyone kind of had a little bit of a panic attack, self-included, uh, when we saw Tommy uh, with a towel over his head heading into the locker room early. Uh, granted, I know that he was already taken out of the game at that point, but this was shortly after a, uh, a really weird interception that was wildly underthrown um, you know, in that fourth quarter and led to some questions about you know, why Tommy was even in at that juncture of the game. And I know it's not the same as the, uh, the ill-fated Eric Dungy injury against Louisville several years ago when Scott Schaefer kept him in during a game that was completely decided and then some, but I, this does leave me with a weird taste in my mouth. And we're probably not going to get an answer on this one until like Thursday night next week. Yeah. It's kind of weird that we've heard nothing um, after the Dino said that he, he both said like, he would probably be fine, but also yeah, like, so if the time game comes up, um, which that doesn't mean anything. Great, great. <laughs> um, it was a kind of a disconcerting time. It came right after that interception, which was really underthrown. And like, there are so many times where you see like a, a non-contact injury, and you think of the worst. Now we don't really have a condition that that's here because everyone's being so buttoned up, um, and it's a bye week, so we're not going to like there. You know, it's going to be tough to to get a beat on practice and whatnot. Um, so hopefully, it's not a big deal. Uh, we'll find out in probably a week. Um, if it is, we're screwed. Although, like, if he was like, at... oh yeah, I, I don't know. Like, this is this is the funny part about all the people that have been just ragging on Devito, um, which was more so after like 
Well, more so I feel like the Maryland game, a little bit soft at the Clemson game because of the one. Uh, there was still plenty of ragging on him but, after the Western Michigan game somehow. Yeah. Um, he's been a lot better the last two weeks against lesser opponents. But, like, I think you can see the progress even, like, re- regardless of opponent. Um, we harped on uh, uh, the the crazy, like, roll to the right, throw, throw the ball directly to a defender uh, on the sideline thing that he did all those, those first three weeks in a row. He's pretty much cut that out. Um, I thought he's looked better in the pocket, although though I think you know Steve said that it's still a, an issue for him. Um, but overall, like I think he has made progress during the year. Uh, so I I'm not rooting for it by any means, but it will be uh, kind of comical to see how the people who were like Tommy is the worst, the you know overrated, um, can't believe everyone hyped him up this much. Uh, how those folks are going to feel if we're rolling in with Clayton Welsh and Brett's uh, Brett's Culpepper. Not not to take anything away from those guys, but I think the gap. Um, is going to be pretty big. It's it's bigger than the gap we had last year between Dungy and and uh, Devito. Yeah, you know, I, I I think that there's I mentioned this in Slack. There's a, I guess it's not an official term, but I guess like program dysmorphia, where I guess like people are people see the program as something it isn't, and and see Tommy as something he isn't, and see the quarterback position at Syracuse as something it isn't. Like realistically, like I, I get it. Sometimes stats can be overblown, but like Devito's blowing the numbers that like. Dungy had like out of the water at this point in, in, in his starting quarterback career under Babers. And like, he's like, yes, he's had a few more interceptions. Uh, I would say that I was, I'm a little not, I'm a little not pleased probably by the, you know, lack of downfield accuracy thus far. Uh, at the same time, I think he's made some really tough throws. I think he's made some really smart decisions. I think the, the, the running ability that he displayed against Western Michigan was a great sign though. I don't think we're going to see a ton of that. This year, especially against ACC defenders, I think in general, like he's he's somebody who is, you know, like you said, clearly a work in progress, but also clearly doing pretty well. I mean, he's already thrown for a ton of yards. He's already like well on his way to, to having one of the probably five or six best seasons in terms of like passing touchdowns in Syracuse history. Uh, might even be higher up on that list. He's the first quarterback in school history to throw four touchdowns in consecutive games. Uh, these are all good things. And these are all not to say that there isn't room for improvement, but the fact that last week he completed just 19 passes and four of them were for touchdowns um, tells you a lot uh, about, you know, how good he is and, and, and his abilities. And like those throws were good. And his throws were good against Western Michigan too. And, you know, he wasn't as accurate against uh, Holy Cross, but uh, Dino said, and, and, you know, Steve was, was pointing it out in Slack and has pointed it out on Twitter a little bit too. Like, they were actively trying to run plays that they were having trouble with over the last few games and over, and over the practices uh, so far in September, like they weren't trying to, you know, blow the doors off of Holy cross, even though SU fans probably wanted that and, and, and needed blood, you know, in order to feel good. Um, and that's fine. Like at the end of the day, 41 to three counts just as much as 60 to seven. So I, I, I don't know what to tell people other than like, Let's chill. Let's as long as Tommy's healthy and as long as we start seeing some of these injured players come back, um, I, I, I'm going to be in a pretty good headspace about this team. You know, not necessarily predicting a ten and two season. Maybe I'm not even predicting an eight and four season. Uh, realistically, like there's a large margin of error, and we said that before the season started. You know, this is something where a better team could potentially go seven and five, um, d- despite you know the the, the wind drop off. It's it's sometimes happenstance just creates these situations. And last year's team could have easily gone seven and five. 
Um, you know, there, there were a couple games in there that were definitely uh, a little dicier than we would have liked. There's also a reality last year where, you know, we go 12 and one or something like that, but I, I, I'm not going to worry until I have an actual tangible reason to. And, and I think right now everything's correctable and the ACC uh, is pretty forgiving in terms of your faults. I think, you know, should we lose to like NC state and then follow it up? Who do we have after state? Hit uh, on Friday night and Florida state we on have... the road after that. Yeah, so if we lose the next two, then I will start to be like, like okay, and, and it's like convincing. It's like we just don't look like nearly as good as those teams, right. which I do not expect to be the case. I will start to get worried and then be like, all right, this could be a troublesome season here because if, you know, there's just, I don't think there's a huge difference between any of the teams left on our schedule. Maybe Wake's a step ahead, maybe Florida State figures it out and as a step ahead, talent-wise, they obviously are. Um, but like, it, it could end up being a thing that kind of spirals out. Uh, that being said, I... You know, I trust the coaching staff to not let that happen. I think we've been pretty good about, like, regrouping from losses and figuring stuff out. Um, I don't think the Clemson and Maryland back-to-back losses mean that much because one of those games is Clemson. Um, but, like, overall, I think we've done a pretty nice job as a program of, like, not getting, like, not letting seasons get away from us under Babers. Um, the first two, I, we were just, at, you know, we were rebuilding. Last year, we didn't let the Notre Dame game do that. We didn't let the the really kind of heartbreaking Clemson loss do that. Um so yeah, I, I think uh, this this next stretch, these next two, I think will, will will be very telling because I think those are both like right in our our wheelhouse of being um, like programs that are in similar places. Uh, even if like NC State and Pitt both have like major quarterback questions right now and and whatnot, I think talent wise and uh, in terms of like results, I think they're like pretty much pure programs for us and. You know, if we split them, then it's just like, all right, this is gonna be that season where the ACC just like eats itself. If we win both, then maybe we'll we'll be fighting with Wake uh, towards the end. And if we lose both, then I'll I'll probably get pretty concerned. If we win both, we're in the exact same spot we were in last year after seven games somehow, which is hilarious. And honestly, like if we went back, if we like rewound our like brains to try to forget that we ended up winning ten games, like we probably felt a little better about last year's team, but not like that much. Honestly, I didn't feel great about like, last. We year's had the dungeon. We had the controversy. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't feel was great a, about last year's team until we beat UNC. And like, I was like, oh, okay. So like, we'd literally have to do like the dumbest thing for the second time in, in 10 years to, to miss a bowl now. Yeah. But people forget, like people forget, like our, our two best seasons of this like modern age are last season by a large margin. And last season, people wanted Dungy benched at mid-year um, after, the, after the UNC game. Uh, and then going back to 2012, the team looked not good through five or six weeks. Like we started one and three. Loss, uh, we started one and three. We had the stupidest schedule possible. We played three power conference teams, non-conference. Um, we started one and three. We lost to a mediocre Minnesota team pretty handily. And then we completely rebuilt our offense mid-season. Um, not like not from the ground up. We just like cut out a bunch of it and streamlined it. And we went off on our rocket ship and and you know, want to share the big east. Um coming from a one and three start. So like both those seasons looked really troublesome midway through for not, not as much last year. Last year we looked like you will probably make a bowl, but we didn't expect to be 10 wins and we ended up being a lot better. Um, 2012, we didn't look like we we're going to be that good at all. We ended up being a top 35 team in S and P plus because we were so good the second half. So a lot can change mid year um, in both directions. Like as we saw with 2011 was the opposite, but uh, you kind of like, you can't totally buy in on five weeks of results against like a really wide range of teams and say like, we know exactly what we're going to be doing here. So uh, I think all things remain on the table. 
uh, and we've pretty much been harping on like saying that since the year started. We've been, yeah. I think I remain about as optimistic as I was to start the year that we were probably a bowl team. I just like, even at our worst, like our, our, our you know, a couple of years ago, Western Michigan might beat us um, just because like they have a pretty explosive offense and got like at least a half out of probably an NFL running back. And, and obviously estrogen getting hurt kind of changed things. But um, I do think overall, we're still in a much better place than we were two years ago. And hopefully like, a disappointing bowl season wouldn't be the worst thing in a row. Uh, worst thing for year four after a 10 win year. Like that's still just a huge upgrade from where, where uh, our bounce back seasons here were, uh, where we were like yo-yoing for a bit. Agreed. Yeah. It's my, it brings up all of my usuals. The, uh, the, the new one program dysmorphia where everyone forgets that Syracuse is uh, to, you know, not a, a, a reload program. They're a rebuild program. And sometimes that means that progress is not linear. Um, so this is how it's going to be for at least a little bit. Like until SU starts raking in top 45 classes. And even then, like you're, we don't have the depth to, to just continually, you know, pile up double digit win campaigns and anyone that convinced themselves of that, I'm sorry. Like you, you made a, a grave error, but in any case, um, for those who did make a grave error, we can talk some beer in a sec. Once we hear from our sponsor and we're back. So Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, yeah, so I had a Raspberry Provincial from Funkworks, uh, which is a Colorado brewery that I believe you are familiar with. Um, really good raspberry sour. Uh, and I think the first thing I've had from them. And then at one of my local bars, uh, they are having a Cedar City takeover. So I thought Invasion was a new one for me, uh, but it's, and Tap tells me I've had it before, so I believe it, um, which is a really, really nice citrusy, super drinkable pale ale. Uh, and that had some high lie because of course I did. Um, and I forget what the third one they had on tap was. Um, it was, I think one of their doubles uh, and I forgot to check into it, but um, Cedar city continues to be more and more common up here. And I thoroughly appreciate that. Yeah, I know since the, uh, since the, what's it called? Oscar blues um, purchase, they've definitely been expanding their, uh, their reach quite a bit. Uh, on my end, I was up in Seattle for a few days, so I had a uh, Sky Kraken from Fremont Brewing. It's a New England Pale Ale. Had a Top Cutter IPA from uh, Bale Breaker. That one was a typical West Coast IPA. Uh, had a bunch of uh, Rainier Lager up there. It's just like the I know Pabst owns a bunch of like the local brands like them, and I think Natty Bow and a bunch of other ones, um, and just kind of like distribute locally for people that enjoy that uh, that old school lager. So uh, that was a I, good one. I enjoy that PBR. Just, I enjoy that they bought all the local PBRs around the country. Uh, they really need binary Gansett and really. Cycle. <laughs> I, I, they might have for all I know. Um, I know. Yeah. I know that they do own no, like a bunch of weird ones. Oh, that's, I guess it's good for them. It is fun. Like, cause it's all the same beer. <laughs> it's, yeah. This is it's very literally true. the same beer. Like, I think they own Schaefer too. Uh, all right. It's, from when that was a more fun beer for us, but <laughs> yeah, I think they own Natty Bo Schaefer. Um, I think they own Jenny too, actually. They, they, they should, if they don't, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure they do. I, I would double check that, but I think they own Jenny and like, we have a bunch of the other ones. So we will, we'll fact check Schaefer that cans at, uh, the sister bar of the bar where I got all the Cedar City, which actually has a decent beer list itself, uh, but it's more of a dive, has Schaefer cans for like $3. And I, I generally don't buy them, but a lot of people do. And uh, Schaefer is swill. Um, but again, it's an appropriate purchase for PBR, which knows what it is. Fair enough. 
A couple others. I had a Lush IPA from Fremont. I had. I was at the uh, Mariners game where Zach Greinke came within two outs of throwing a no-hitter. I had a Hop Valley bubble stash. And this whole stadium of maybe 2,000 people were rooting against the Mariners um, because they wanted to see a no-hitter. It didn't happen. Um, I had Beachwood Citraholic, which is one of their best IPAs. I had Gentle Reminder from Modern Times. Uh, went over to Smog City's new um, space over in West Torrance. Uh, had a shelf beer. It was a table beer from them. And also had Little Bo Pills from Smog City and some Expedition Stout from Bells. So busy week of, uh, of beer consumption last week. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, second half here, uh, news item number one. Uh, Tulane got a vote in the AP poll. Well-deserved. Oh, Well-deserved. Uh, the the, the wave are rolling so far, so we're, we're, we'll, we'll be keeping tabs on them. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, I forgive me for forgetting who asked us to do this, but uh, talk about Syracuse's future offense, um, kind of, I don't think recruiting targets as much uh, as just like who's on deck, how, I think we already touched on DeVito a bit, but like, Dan, what do you see, what do you see from this offense so far this season? Do you think that it's regressed in any way? Do you just think that Dino Babers and staff haven't really tried to do much with it yet? Do you think that Tommy just needs more time? Are, are the receivers not as good as we'd hoped? I think there's just like a lot of, there's a lot of question marks. And I think maybe they don't start with the ones I just mentioned, but they probably start with the offensive line and the, and, and the uh, running game as why we're, we're potentially seeing a bit of a regression this year. Yeah, I think it starts, it starts up front whether you want to pin it all on the offensive line or part of the issue, at least in the passing, uh, you know, the protection game. Um, we've also seen some really bad misprotections for running backs as well, uh, especially in the Maryland game. But um, I think that's, it definitely starts up there with the running game. And I think, and I'll say that have been at the center of all of our struggles. Um, so, I mean, that's like what the direction is. The direction is to get better at the offensive line. Uh, it's not like there's like a huge like recruiting strategy or something that you need to overhaul there. You know, I think we kind of know what kind of linemen we like, and we had a lot of success plugging those guys in there where things came along nicely. Um, but recruiting the old line is going to be tough. I mean, there's, uh, it's you know, I think I feel like every couple of years we have a really nice one, and then you know, it's one of those things when everyone comes together and you have a very uh, senior like bad guard or one bad like one questionable center to really uh have cascading issues and i think that's what we're seeing a lot of um you have guys who have been playing multiple positions and uh i don't think we've really been allowed to develop the chemistry up front that usually lends itself to strong offensive line play um so yeah that's uh, my my boat can play a lot better um i think the young receivers who all played pretty big roles last year have been a bit disappointing um when when devito has gotten time and has delivered good balls i think they've let him down a bit um, the running backs, I think, have mostly been fine running the ball. Uh, there have been protection issues, but I think Mo and Abdul have done largely what you expect of them uh, out of the backfield. There hasn't been a ton of space. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of like go, looking down the future, I think you kind of see with uh, the quarterback recruit, recruiting, especially with uh, David Summers, like he's very much in the mold of Tommy DeVito. He's worked with the same quarterback coaches. Um, I think you're you're looking at at like good athletes, but who are going to be generally uh pocket 
guys who you know you're not gonna have i don't think we're gonna go out like to recruit a lot of arid dungies unless we see a, a radical shift um i do wonder if uh and i think we talked about this last week a little bit if babers has almost like maybe thought he would just jump right back into his old offense really easily and uh the progression from like the dungeon based offense to the ideal like pocket spread with a pretty run heavy uh influence has been harder than he thought it would be uh going from one year to the other where even like devito running quote unquote dungeon's offense last year um looked a bit more uh impressive in those like two games where he was really good but i think a lot of that was that the offensive line was playing better and the still position guys were a bit more uh, confident in their abilities. So I think I think it's just a lot of growing pains overall. It's like what you, how you can sum it up pretty easily. But um, identity-wise, I think we kind of know what we're looking like like here. You have uh, a good, strong-arm quarterback um, and then a running game that can carry, like, uh, a lot of the load. And and if you go back to, like, those late Bowling Green teams, or the two Bowling Green teams, I guess, the, especially the last one, ran the ball all the time. So it's it's going to be ideally really well balanced. You're going to see a lot of quick hits and it's it's just the tempo more than anything. It's like the defining characteristic. It's whether run or pass, like you're constantly rushing to the line, getting plays off and hopefully running like 80 to 85 plays per game, if not more. Yeah, Dan, I agree. I, I think that you, you pretty much nailed it there. Um, th- there's a lot of things that are, that are part of the problem. Nothing in, in, in as a whole. I think that there may be... I don't think the coaching staff is like looking ahead at anything, but I do think that there's maybe some struggles that just weren't anticipated. And, you know, that happens. Uh, and I, I think it's more that than a lack of preparation necessarily. Um, I think that there was, there were warning signs going into the season that like Dino Babers pointed out and said, you know, this offensive line is going to be a work in progress. You know, he inspired as much confidence as he could in Tom DeVito. But I think like without saying it did kind of like intimate before the season started, like, Anyone who thinks this is going to be just last year redux is is, is kind of fooling themselves. Um, he'd also mentioned like the wide receivers hadn't gotten enough time. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, nobody wants to hear excuses. Uh, but I, I think that there are some definite valid ones for why the offense has looked the way it does. Um, I think that Nike and Johnson probably hasn't been at 100 percent help this year. And because he's regressed a ton, I think that Sean Riley hasn't really been as involved in, in this year's offense. Um, it seems like the best rapport is probably between DeVito and Tristan Jackson after a, a rough first game with Taj Harris is like a close second. We're seeing tight ends involved more. There's just a lot of, there are a lot of moving parts in there where it's kind of hard to figure, you know, what's, what's a product of, of DeVito needing for more time to come along and what's a product of the offensive line and what's a product of Babers not wanting to, you know, completely empty the bag of tricks um, five weeks in. Cause I feel like, what helped us last year was that the second half of the year, we still had plenty of, of, of things left to go to. We also had Eric Dungy who was like a, you know, a chaos agent in and of itself, but we didn't have, but at the end of the day, like I, I until I'm proven wrong, I'm going to believe that Babers is a lot more left in the bag here and, and, and can still do a hell of a lot um, with this team provided again, and that, that, we see a better offensive line in the second half and, and hopefully a healthier offensive line in the second half in particular. Yeah, I, I'm really interested to see what the impact of Sam Hackle coming back is, um, as well as the uh, compl- like the continued uh, progression between DeVito and the receivers. I think um, pretty clearly Tristan Jackson and he have a very good rapport. That first game was weird, but he's been dynamite the last couple games. 
Um, Taj was really good this past two minutes, Holy Cross, and he's coming along. Uh, and, and like, I believe in those younger guys. I mean, I think we just saw enough from last season um, to, like, not make me super concerned five games in. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm very pleased with the, the uh, reintroduction of the tight end of the offense. We saw it a little bit two years ago with Ravian Pierce, and his role fell off a, a decent amount, and then obviously he had injury concerns. Um, but Hackett looks really natural uh, catching the ball. Looks like, you know, your kind of prototypical tight end. Um, and, it, like, I think that position overall has has progressed a lot. So um, if that's, like, you know, something we've been working on, and that's, like, a pretty stark difference from what we've seen most of the year, aside from, like, those pop passes to Pierce a couple years ago, um, I think that's something to be excited about. Luke Benson, I was looking for his name. He had, like, that huge uh, performance. Like 70, was it 70-yarder? Yeah, 70-yard touchdown. He was scooting, too, like – Obviously, against FCS defensive bats, but like he's a he's not like this like tiny tight end either. Like he looks. Oh, he's, he's a nice he's hybrid. Like, he's like a nice hybrid wide receiver tight end that I feel like we're going to get a lot out of um, over the course of his career. I think right now, like because he's the only times we've seen him this year, he's looked really good. So I, I'm yeah. very curious to see him um, like in action more. I think over the course of his career, but he's probably stuck behind at least for now um but maybe we see some two tight end sets you know that was something we talked about a couple of years ago potentially rolling into the mix it wouldn't shock me to see uh, either like 212 personnel or um him lining up in the slot which i think he did a bit this last game especially if we're not going to do the same kind of production out of nikeem or uh, courtney jackson um obviously i think riley is going to be a part of the offense uh even though he hasn't been super consistent this year but look i think better the last couple of weeks um, but I think Jackson and, and Tosh Harris are your pretty clear one and two. And then if it's Riley or Hackett or Benson, like as long as one of those guys is clicking and, and rolling in the offense and has the hot hand, I think you can, you know, if you have three solid uh, receiving targets per game, plus like the two pretty dynamic running backs, um, I think you're in pretty good shape. So I, I think those are definitely reasons to be optimistic, especially from the last couple of weeks. Agreed, agreed. Um, no need to belabor if we don't need to. So uh, why don't we just wrap up our bye week predictions? Oh yeah, well, uh, I think we're gonna beat the fighting buys. Uh, go sixty-nine to seven. Nice. Uh, I was not gonna go with the same start position like last week uh, as you. Um, I think uh, I'll go with a nice uh, fifty-two to four. Two safeties, bold. Yes. Or is is it two safeties, or is it two run back blocked extra points? Isn't a run back block extra point one point? That I don't know. I thought I it was two. I, I don't know. Uh, whatever the weirdest way to the four points is, uh, of which there are no normal ways, uh, that's the way it'll happen. And it'll happen early in the game, so we're actually going to be behind for nothing. It is at the review. And then, oh, it's a new PAT rule for the NFL. Okay. The defense can return a block extra point attempt for two points. Not to like go on a tangent because I know you have to go. That should just be a touchdown. That's so difficult. <laughs> See, I don't know. I feel it's like so if it's rare a, and difficult. <laughs> I feel like if it's a two point conversion or like because the end of the day, like you didn't score. It's not on a. It's not on a like feel. It's not on a like regulation play necessarily. You're totally right. Like it makes sense the way it is. I'm just saying it's very hard and rare. I think it should be worth like nine points. <laughs> Just, just go all in. Just, let's just double it. Just twelve now. You win. Okay. It's I'm the, with that. You couldn't tell me a point number high enough for me to say the, that. It's the golden snitch. You get 150 <laughs> points. And the game ends. 
and the game ends no matter what the score is. It happens in the first touchdown of the game. It's like the 13-minute mark in the first quarter. The Patriots go up uh, 6-0, but then the Bills block an extra point, run it back, and it's 150-6. to Well, you know that if that if that was the actual rule, that the Patriots would always be the ones doing it. I don't know. Just was, was Slytherin that good at, at Twitch? I don't remember. They probably were. I just feel like Bill Belichick would be like, oh, yeah, we can just get this out of the way. We don't need to, <laughs> we need to worry about anything except for blocking and returning extra points. <laughs> Every game lasts three and a half minutes, but the ticket prices are still, like, crazy, and it would be, it'd be perfect. It would be perfect NFL. I wish The NFL probably wishes that was the case, aside from the TV revenue issues. Yeah, I, I'd be fine with it personally. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dan, anything else before we depart today? No, I think that's an appropriate place to end. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> everybody, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, on TuneIn, I don't know, on Overcast, a lot of other places. Uh, so, yeah, be sure to say nice things. Give us some stars, some likes, whatever currency they use, and uh, go orange. Go Green Wave.